Okay, so at this time we'll have our first message by Mr. David Hope. Thank you, Matt. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy, happy Feast of Trumpets. Love that music. Yeah, the title I chose today is Feast of Trumpets in a Nutshell. And, uh, you know, there's different kinds of nutshells, I guess you could say, well, what kind of nutshell? And uh, I guess you looked at a coconut, you know, that would be probably equivalent to uh, one of our old worldwide type messages, you know, that we've set through for, you know, an hour or two, a couple hours. Or you may even have an English walnut, you know, a little smaller, and that's more like our, most of our sermons, kind of like an English walnut. And uh, sermonettes, you could maybe even say, well, it's a pistachio or something like that. And before I had a little bit of insert I was going to put in, mine would have been more like a sunflower seed. <laughs> so, so I decided to uh, read a little pre-message thing, even though it'll still come off of my time. And, uh, but I thought it'd be interesting. You know, I got it in, in an email or some, something here sometime back off the Internet, and I thought I'd just share it with you for a couple of minutes. It says, the truth about the Bible, and I'm sure some of you have already heard this, food for thought. Is the Bible the inspired word of God? Have any of you heard or read this yet? Can I see any hands if you have? Huh, okay, well, maybe new to you. It says, during a question and answer session at a recent speaking engagement, a university student asked, why should we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? This is not, or this is a very good question and probably one of the most important questions anyone could ask themselves. What is so special, so unique about the Bible that Christians believe it is literally the inspired word of God? In answering the student's question, consider the following facts about the Bible. First, the Bible is not just a single book. This is a more common misconception than many people realize, especially with people who do not come from a Judo-Christian background. Rather, being a single, rather than being a single book, the Bible is actually a collection of 66 books, which is called the Canon of Scriptures. These 66 books contain a variety of genres, history, poetry, prophecy, wisdom literature, letters, and apocrypha, just to name a few. Second, these 66 books were written by 40 different authors. These authors come from a, from a variety of backgrounds, shepherds, fishermen, doctors, kings, prophets, and others. And most of these authors never knew one another personally. Third, these 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years, yet again, this is another reminder that many of these authors never knew or collaborated with one another in writing these books. Fourth, the 66 books of the Bible were written in three different languages. In the Bible, we have books that were written in the ancient languages of Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic, a reflection of the historical and cultural circumstances in which each of these books were written. 
And finally, these 66 books were written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Once again, this is a testament of the varied historical and cultural circumstances of God's people. Think about the realities. 66 books written in 40 different, or by 40 different authors over 100, or 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. Isn't that amazing when you really get to thinking about it? What's more, this collection of books shares a common storyline, the creation, fall, and redemption of God's people, a common theme, God's universal love for all humanity, and a common message. Salvation is available to all who repent of their sins and commit to the following, or following God with all their heart, soul, and mind. That's pretty well the whole uh, synopsis. In addition to sharing these commonalities, these 66 books contain no historical errors or contradiction. God's Word truly is an amazing collection of writings. After sharing the above facts with this, this student, I offered him the following challenge. If you do not believe that the Bible is in the inspired Word of God, if you do not believe that the Bible is a super, of supernatural origin, then I challenge you to the task. I challenge you to go to any library in the world. You can choose any library you like and find just 66 books which match the characteristics of the 66 books of the Bible. You must choose 66 books written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year time period in three different languages and share a common storyline and a common message with no historical errors or contradictions. If you can produce such a collection of books, I will admit that the Bible is not the inspired Word of God. The students reply was almost instantaneously. He emphatically stated that that's impossible. It is truly impossible for any collection of human writings. However, the Bible passes this test. The Bible contains 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents with no historical errors or, or contradictions. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation bears the mark of divine inspiration. Just thought you might be interested in that. If, if you might be interested later, I don't have copies, but we can always copy some over here if, if you are. Now, back into my message. Uh, the, um, what, I, what I want to do today, I want to briefly cover three events most of us believe are depicted by the Feast of Tabernacles. Now there are a lot, but these are three events. And in a nutshell, I'm not going to go all through the scriptures, and these three events that I'm going to talk about is the return of Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom on, on this earth, his government. Two, the resurrection of the righteous dead. And number three, the saints change from mortal to immortal. So this, this, will, this will be brief, and, and there are many, many scriptures, and, and by looking at Ms. Gregory's sermon, he's going to cover, uh, uh, you know, one of the things, probably in a lot more detail about Jesus' government. But anyway, I'm, I, don't want to, I don't know exactly what he's saying. But turn with me, first of all, uh, to a familiar scripture, Matthew 24. 
Matthew 24 and uh, verse 29 through 31. The return, oh, let me get me out here. This basically I'm breaking into a thought, you know, in Matthew 24 we consider basically the, the Olivet Prophecy and, and the disciples had already asked him, what's be the sign of your coming, on, on, and on. They wanted to know. So we're breaking into, Jesus have been already talking. And uh, verse 29 says, And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 31, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather all they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, one end of the heaven to the other. And we'll go over now to First uh, Corinthians 15, and uh, Doyle Carter mentioned and read from this last week. And, and it, it's hard to get into the Feast of Trumpets season and not cover that. And, and there's so many others, but I'm going to read it again just in uh, context of this. First Corinthians 15 and and uh, verse 50 through 53. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the trumps shall sound, you know, the day of the trumpets we're looking at, shall sign, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And another pretty famous, pretty popular scripture this time of year is First Thessalonians 4, First Thessalonians 4. It's too early to get into the water yet. My mouth is already trying to play tricks on me. First uh, Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others have no hope. For if we believe, and I, and I think we do believe, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You know, we've, a lot of people aren't here this year that were here this time of year. You know, some, some affect us directly and we know people and, and possibly this time next year some of us won't be here. We'll be asleep in Christ. And we have this hope. We don't have, even though we miss those people very dearly, but, you know, we know and we don't grieve as others do in that particular method that, and mode that, that we don't have a hope for them. Uh, verse 15 for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, you know, Jesus said that, that we which are alive and remain, hopefully that's us, unto the coming of the Lord shall not perceive, come before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, 
and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, we, we, God spirit people hopefully, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And this is a good old Protestant verse here. They like this one. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And we do all the time. But, you know, like I said, a lot of of the other churches, they they love to leave that here. Well, just be with the Lord up in the clouds. We'll be there in heaven all the time. And uh, for those of us of the the old heritage, uh, one of the the next scriptures we like to go to, and and you're probably already there, is is Zechariah 14. And like I said, there's so many others, and, and I'm sure Mr. Gregory is going to go into a lot of them too. But uh, Zechariah 14, in verse 1 through 5, says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes. And just as an aside, and I have a couple of seconds, I can digress a little bit. Uh, remember here a while back I was talking about, uh, they used the uh, verse in uh, uh, Revelation 1.10, you know, talking about the Lord's Day on Sunday, the first day of the week, and how they perverted that doctrine. Remember that, some of you? And some of you probably think I'm kind of cocky and arrogant. But anyway, <laughs> in my mind, this is the same scripture they're talking about, the Lord's Day. And, and, and when you look at Revelation and look at the chain reaction and all the things that are happening there, you know this is the same storyline but anyway, it's another side. Uh, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and the spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be shaken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, horrible time, and half of the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet, and listen to this, up in heaven, you know, and we know other scriptures where the eagles gathered and the carcass and all that. But anyway, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall uh, remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And you shall flee, verse 5, and you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azal. Yea, and you shall flee like you fled as before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And listen to this. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with him. So, you know, they didn't stay up in heaven all this time. They came down with him. You know, as I said a while ago, there are a lot of scriptures that, that we can use on this Feast of Trumpets and, and, uh, and, and uh, through the holy days and all that. A lot of them will be brought out. But there are many scriptures uh, concerning the feast. And the more we study and the more we observe, these holy days, and all of God's holy days, the more excited we become. And don't you think that's true when we really get into thinking about it? The, the more we become, uh, more excited we become. And like I said, this is in a nutshell. And uh, may God bless all of you and have a happy Feast of Trumpets.